breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One seven FM seven ten Keo Mike and McCarty. Where were we over the weekend? And I was I looked and I said, "You realize that we're technically we're I mean we're still in February, and it's eighty <laughs> yes. something degrees, and we're in shorts." And I know it I'm is in, going I, to be a miserable summer. I'm afraid. I've in, I've invented a new season. Richard Llewellyn from the Weather <laughs> Channel. It's called Sprinter. <laughs> Because we're not winter, it's not technically spring. No, we're in no. sprinter. What? You what? Know, you know, think about what the groundhog said on February second. That idiot. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn tree rat or whatever it was. Yeah. So what? Eighty-seven. A record high could be today eighty-seven-ish. Yeah, and believe it or not, uh, North Texas is going to be in the mid-90s this afternoon. I mean, Dallas is going to be 95 today. Uh, wow. uh, over one Over a 100-year-old record could fall by the wayside in the Metroplex today over there as they're going to be looking at temperatures well into the mid-90s. 90s are going to stretch from the Rio Grande to the Red River in Texas today. Uh, places as far north as Childress, Texas, are going to get up into the low 90s this afternoon. The 80s all the way up into southern Nebraska today on this, uh, you know, just a couple of days left of uh, February here. 72 records could fall throughout the day today. It looks like areas from Texas all the way up into the Dakotas and Minnesota, stretching all the way over to the western Great Lakes, have the better chances of seeing record highs today. 55 tomorrow, a record high temperatures are expected again tomorrow. What's our record high for Shreveport today and tomorrow? Um, oh, you had to ask me that. <laughs> I talked about the forecast this morning. Of, of course, uh, you know, we've, we, we talked about uh, uh, well, getting very close to the record here in Shreveport. I wish I had that data in front of me. I, th- I think you said 87, I believe. So we're close to yeah. a record high. Yeah, we're calling for 86 here today. We're very going to be very close to the record. We may be a degree or two shy of the record here. You know, right now we're not calling for the record to fall in Shreveport today. I think the better chance of that happening is going to be tomorrow. But there will be records all around us. Texarkana could see record highs. Uh, Tyler, Texas could also see record highs today. Range of temperatures over there between 82 and 86. You know, we're calling for 86 here in Shreveport today. So, you know, don't be surprised if we do see the record fall but mm-hmm. you know there's that chance that we may just fall a, a degree or two short of it but now we've still got a little bit of cooler weather on the way is that correct i mean it's not yeah, all 90s have, coming up no there's a strong cold front that's going to be a diving into uh, parts of the arklatex here later this week and uh, that's going to bring back the cooler temperatures we're going to go from the mid 80s to the mid 60s on wednesday and highs thursday only in the upper 50s before temperatures turn around again and go right back into the 80s. You know, yeah, we're uh, looking at 45 like. on Wednesday and Thursday nights. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be cool. And, you know, but I think we're, you know, no surprise. We're done with the cold weather. I think we're pretty much done with cold. Anything, you know, that's going to be significantly sure. cold. And we're just going to be running into these mild temperatures. A lot of rain coming in the longer range forecast, though, especially as we move on out into the first days of March. 
It looks like the rain chances will pick up probably on Sunday of next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a full week of rain in the forecast next week. And that's going to help to keep the temperatures down. We'll be mostly in the low 70s and overnight lows in the 40s and 50s next week with uh, chances of rain each day next week. Well, I've got some weed and feed that I need to put out, and you're supposed (laughs) to do it right before a rain. So when should I put my weed and feed out? I'd put it out today. Uh, The winds are going to pick up tonight. Uh, It will be, uh, you know, a little bit breezy at actually the nighttime hours tonight. Another warm day, but should stay dry tomorrow. And then we bring that small chance of rain with the front coming through on Wednesday. Uh, you know, right now we're just calling for less than a tenth of an inch of rain. You know, the, the noticeable difference is going to be with a wind shift and the cooler temperatures coming in on Wednesday. Maybe a couple of showers on Thursday uh, with another disturbance hanging close by. We're dry for the first half of the weekend and then more rain for the second half of the weekend in the next week. Okay, Richard Llewellyn from the Weather Channel. Put your horticulture hat on. Because there's a kind of an unwritten rule in Shreveport-Bossier, northwest Louisiana, that we don't put our tomato plants out until Easter because we might see, you know, another freeze. You're saying you don't anticipate another another freeze or a late frost between now and Easter. You think we might be okay to put the tomatoes out after this weekend? You know, I'm kind of a green thumb myself, and and, and I'm of that same belief. You don't put anything out until Easter, and I strongly believe that because, you know, there's always some rogue surprise out there somewhere. So I'm of the the same camp. You don't put anything out until Easter, even though you may want to get some seeds started, you you know, and keep them that you can transport them into the garage or the house, you know, if we do have something like that. But I wouldn't put anything in the ground until Easter weekend for sure. Okay. Okay, well, let me look a little bit further out then because we're already looking at 85 degrees tomorrow. Uh, what, is, what is our summer going to look like? Is, are we looking at an extremely hot, miserable summer? Well, one of the things I'm concerned about about summer is, you know, we're getting ready to come out of El Nino transition into La Nina and usually when we go into a La Nina phase, in fact, it could be a strong La Nina the way things are looking right now, that kind of paints the picture that we may be looking at a pretty active hurricane season coming up as we get further, you know, you know, as we go from the El Nino phase into the La Nina phase. You know, I don't think we're going to stay in neutral in this kind of neutral phase for any length of time. It's just going to be from one swing to the other swing. And if you believe what, you know, the – idea is about a La Nina, you know, we're looking at uh, a hot summer, probably with some rounds of showers and thunderstorms. And then we're off to the races, you know, later in the season in regards to tropical activity. So I think that's what we're going to be looking at as we get out, out close, you know, out into the summertime, we're going to be looking at, you know, rounds of showers and storms, hot temperatures during the day, and then tropical mischief coming later in the season. Welcome to Sprinter, Richard Llewellyn. <laughs> Thanks for your time, my friend. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. 101.7 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty. Now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel. Great crawfish. I had my first crawfish this weekend, by the way. Braces. I have a crawfish sugar mama. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
Do you want to say where they were from or no? I'm I, under, not, I understand. I'm, I be, I'm not certain where they got them. I know they waited in a line to get them, and um, it might have been rubber boot. I'm not sure. I don't know what they paid. I didn't ask because that would have been rude. But um, I saw rubber boot was open over the mm-hmm. weekend, and it wasn't lined up all down the street, which <laughs> leads me to believe they're still kind of high. They may not yeah. them in general, but just overall crawfish prices. Well, my friend's son waited in a long line to get them there, and I found them uh, two weeks ago. They were about fourteen dollars a pound, thirteen ninety nine at most places. I did the checking Friday, and I, call, I literally called around. The Crawfish app is off a little bit. I'm going to give you a heads up. It's off a little bit. Um, and I found a lot of places selling them for between $10 and $12 a pound. I found a few places selling live crawfish for seven fifty a pound. That was the lowest I could find for live crawfish. I have been tracking crawfish prices for 10 years or better, I've never seen live crawfish sell for seven fifty a pound. It's the highest I've ever seen. Um, most everybody is selling boiled for nine ninety five around that area. Some are still don't have any. I did call farmers and they are only selling. I believe they're only selling live crawfish. They don't have any um, boiled yet. They're not. They're just selling bags, and their bags range from thirty to forty pounds. So you're going to pay it. You know, you got to you got to buy the whole whole bag. Haven't had anybody, uh, and and the farmer's live price is seven ninety nine. Haven't had anybody invite me to a crawfish boil yet. They're just not doing them. I mean, they're too expensive. It's too expensive to do it. So you're having people that'll buy, you know, cooked crawfish. There are some that are doing, you know, small smaller crawfish boils, but I don't see anybody doing a crawfish boil for their hundred people in their company yet, mm-hmm. or anything big like no, that. If you, if you no. have, and you haven't invited me, shame on you. But um. Yeah. I'm just hello. It's expensive. It's really expensive right now, and so it's going to be a while before the prices come down. But we're still between that ten and twelve dollar mark. Some places did do a little special. If you bought, you know, five pounds or more, you could get it for under, you know, in the eight fifty range, something like that. But you had to find that, and then you had to go when they were when they had them, because folks are running out of them. When I, I, last week, let me change gears. Last week, uh, when I left here, and I think it was Friday, and went to uh, my studio at Channel 3, mm-hmm. I saw a friend of mine's truck there who is on Mike Johnson's staff. He's okay. one of the local uh, people on Mike Johnson's staff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's right. Mike was going to be at Channel 3 on yes. Friday. He sure was. So I texted my buddy. I said, hey, are you, are you here? You know, he said, no, I'm in the motorcade. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, like, I know they went to Barksdale. surreal. Yeah, he made a bunch of other stops. So, yeah, you're with the Speaker of the House. That's kind of cool. Yes. That's the Speaker cool. of the House going through Shreveport Bossier last week. He did, mm-hmm. a, he did an interview with Channel 3. Yes. Uh, Jeff Bimeford, and that'll mm-hmm. be tonight at 6.30. Right. Uh, like a 30-minute exclusive interview. Congrats cool. on that. You That's bet. very cool. We were hoping to get in touch with him, but his schedule was just he was slammed. He was packed, Absolutely yeah. slammed. Mm-hmm. So I missed him uh, at the studio. He would he had been there earlier that morning. Uh, so I didn't I didn't get a chance to see him on he had a Friday. Bunch of stops Friday. I mean I know oh, yeah. he spent time with Barksdale. He actually was answering questions 
from Barksdale Airmen and and I believe spouses even. It was really kind of cool. It was. Re- I mean, how often do you get to ask questions of the speaker of the freaking house? Yeah, doesn't happen very often. It but it really was doesn't. just so surreal. Like, it's, are you here? No, I'm in the motorcade. Poor darling. <laughs> Poor darling. In one of the limos, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. Or one of the follow cars or whatever. I don't now, know. when they bring Mike here, do, do, they, do they rent, like, special cars? Do they bring his car here? You know, I don't know because... he's probably in a because, bulletproof car. But it's not know. Secret Service, is it? Didn't, I don't... Didn't we determine that his is uh, Capitol Police... His security detail? I'm not sure if you're third in line to the presidency. I know it. I, know it. I don't know who guards him. I would, I would, yeah, we'll have to look. I thought, I thought, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. But I'm curious, his motorcade, who do you call and go, I need a the best limo you've got? Right. Because the Speaker of the House is going to be riding around town in it. So you would think it would be like the, you know, the beast that the president drives yeah. in. I mean, it would have to be additional security, not mm-hmm. just a regular car. Not just a regular car, yeah. Where do you go in Shreveport if you need to rent a, a bulletproof, bulletproof limo? limo. <laughs> I Does don't that know exist? that that's, yeah, it would seem like in Shreveport it would, but that may Mike, not be. Uh, well, be I'm, nice. just, I'm just saying, <laughs> that, you know, that message would come across the Shreveport Security Systems message board. There's You're, a great business idea right there. So For your bad. next prom, get the bulletproof limo. Oh, you're so bad. <laughs> From Glock limos. Oh, my gosh. You're a bad man. <laughs> we are going to discuss uh, Fairgrounds Field demolition. Uh, where are we on that? I know when I've driven by, uh, the pile of debris is bigger. Mm-hmm. It's, it's much, much bigger. They are doing more clean out. Uh, over there. So apparently there's some motion going on. A little bit. Uh, Bill Robertson going to join us coming up after the news, 8 o'clock. 1017 FM, 710 Keel.com. Back with Artie on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Now, see, now I've got that visual in my head. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed I watched it. I really am. I'm sorry. I I derailed you. I apologize. I watched the Wendy Williams documentary this weekend. Okay. Um, I think it just aired Saturday, then part two or part whatever, the the other two parts yesterday. And how does her family, how did her family, I know she's under a um, guardianship. But but she's got some... Issues, right? She has I mean, dementia. She, yes. She's in yes. Los Angeles and thinks she's in Miami. Oh. And I know her family didn't have any control over it, but how does a guardian of her allow that to happen? That person needs to be fired. They should have never done this documentary. I was so sad to see somebody who was, I mean, she was a legendary radio broadcaster. She was Howard Stern. To so many people. I mean, she was comparable. Well, and she had, she had a television show. Yes. For 14 years, she had a talk show that was highly successful. Right. She exactly. Was, she was syndicated on hundreds of radio stations during the day and was hugely popular and was, you know, the queen 
just a tragic situation. And it's her so sad. story is so tragic. Her family has no control over her at this point, no control over her money. She's been in a treatment facility for a while. They say it's for, you know, her brain dementia and et cetera, but I'm sure it's for substance abuse because they show her drinking like a party-sized thing of vodka. And they're trying to stop her from drinking. The family now, does she is have the aphasia, the same thing that Bruce Willis has? Is that what they've determined? Something, yeah. And, she, and they actually put her on TV and she pulls out her feet. Mike, they are so infected and bloated. Oh, and I'm like, oh, why yeah, did we yeah. let her do that? Who, what a tragedy. Whatever the guardianship program is supposed to be, this ain't it. Right. Whoever signed off on this was horribly wrong and doing doing a, a huge disservice to a woman I think was, you know, I mean, talk about making a trailblaze in, in our business, in mm -hmm, radio. Mm -hmm. She trailblazed it. Whether you agreed with her or not, she was calling people out for their shenanigans and did it all the time. And, and people hated on her for it, but she wasn't playing. She, she was out there, and, and man, was she popular. And she still is. Crowds follow her everywhere she goes. But this should have, this documentary should have never been done. It's tragic. And for her family to have to sit back and watch it, they were all, in, in their interviews, the ones that did agree to interviews, they were like, we did not want this to happen like it's happened. We did not. We want her to move to Miami with us and us take over the care of her and, and hopefully get her well. But man, the guardianship program in New York State has gone awry in this case. No doubt really? about it. Oh, it's awful. Democrat-run New York, and there's yeah. there's problems? Mike, it's tragic. It's tragic. And, I, you know, I'm sad that I watched it, but I, you know, for somebody in the radio business to watch her story, I mean, she was incredible. She was incredible. And so I watched it, and I felt like, and I felt dirty watching it. I really did. I'm still telling you that today. But um, just pray for Wendy Williams. Man. Sad, sad story. And see, what is it about it now? Because what is it in human nature that makes us go, well, now I kind of want to go watch it? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> exactly. You say that, and I'm, and I'm going, well, now I, I don't want anybody to know, but I, I kind of want to yeah, see it. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to tell you I watched. I feel you because I'm like, golly, that was messy. Oh. And I watched uh, the, the new season, Drive to Survive, dropped. On Friday, oh yeah, the the F one behind mm -hmm. the scenes, yes, about the twenty twenty three season. Ooh, and I haven't honestly since I've been watching the races, and I have F one TV, and mm -hmm. I I watch everything through the season. I haven't seen Drive to Survive in a couple of years. Oh, so I bet that was fun. But I did I did start the the new season. Oh, cool, and uh, it was interesting. I'll it's very cool. Yeah, very cool. Absolutely. Uh, we are going to discuss uh, the latest on Fairgrounds Field. What's going on with the demolition there, uh, as well as the uh, historic home on Kings Highway, the home of the Rice Kendig Law Office. That's all coming up later this morning. Mike and McCarty, one hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel dot com. Back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Well, I'm so excited. I got a notification from AT&T. Oh, good. Okay. I'm getting a credit Yay. on my bill from last week's outage. Mm-hmm. 
You, you probably got it too. Five dollars. Oh, five bucks. I'm going Christmas shopping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, taking a vacation. <laughs> and and I'm looking at buying a new bike. Diamonds for the wife. Yep. Yeah. Uh, five bucks. Uh, AT and T customers get five It's like bucks. okay, why why bother? Is your initial you know thought? Yeah. Five bucks. But you know what? If, if a huge corporation, they didn't have to do anything. No. No. And so kudos to them for <laughs> trying to make some kind of an effort. But if you think five bucks, if for a thirty day a month, if you lose service for one day. Five bucks is probably five times 30 is 150 bucks. Is that what your bill is? About 150 bucks? They say that $5 is the average cost of one day of cell phone service. Okay. But now now here's the thing. 73,000 people were affected by this outage. This doesn't include AT&T business. The credit doesn't go toward... Uh. This is just personal accounts. So if you had 73... They're they're sending out like three hundred sixty five thousand dollars in issuing credits. Okay. For hmm. you know for uh, residential uh, private cell phone customer wireless customers. So they know who all was impacted, I guess. I, well, I I would, I would imagine, assume. I would imagine. Yeah. Because I I know some folks that weren't that they they still had service if they had. Either an old phone or a very new phone. I'm not sure what it was, but there were some people who didn't have any impact at all. I, I had very limited impact. I'm a Verizon customer, but right. I haven't seen any well, refunds. The from official Verizon. statement says our initial review of the cause of Thursday's outage indicates it was due to the application and execution of an incorrect process. That's you, yeah. Okay, I got this you. is double speak. Yeah. Used while working to expand our network. Okay. In other words, somebody screwed up. Somebody got fired. Yeah. We mm-hmm. are investing billions to grow our network and deliver an even more blah 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 jibber jabber jabber. Right. Yeah. Somebody got fired. I'm sure. Somebody out of AT and T got the axe. I can't imagine they didn't. Although AT and T isn't saying that. Yeah, and they're never going to say that. We're never going to know who got fired. So, Somebody. But but they are they are taking baby steps. At least trying to, mm-hmm. you know, repair some image. Yeah. Issuing issuing a credit for mm. uh, for uh, for these uh, wireless customers that uh, on the personal plans. Right. Five bucks. Not bad. It's something. Meh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to turn down. I'm not going to say free money because it's not free money. Yeah. It's my money. Lunch on Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even get a $5 subway and you $5 foot long anymore. No, that doesn't happen. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, a local architect, Christopher Coe, uh, and uh, also Bill Robertson about uh, Fairgrounds Field and more. Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel. More breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. I would almost, I'm not even going, I'm not even going to say that. What? But there, you want to get my vote? You want to get my vote? Yes. Tell me you will make daylight saving time permanent. Me too. And I'll I'm go, with you know you. what? Okay, thank you. 
Forget the economy. Forget, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Forget inflation. Yeah. Leave us at daylight saving time. I'm voting for you. Yeah, honestly, Aaron, I don't care which one you settle on. Just leave it alone. Just well, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. We Quit changed the clocks on March 10th, which is Sunday morning uh, at 2 a.m. A week which, from this Sunday. A week from this Sunday. Oh, my this, gosh. So We only have two more weeks left of this. Right. But I like daylight saving time, okay. so I'm going to be happy. Sure. I'll and be then, good. Because it stays late. Or light later, mm-hmm. and that if that's what you want, okay, I don't care. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Just but then let's leave it alone. Yes. And Louisiana has legislation in place mm-hmm. that when the feds finally pass the what the Sunshine Protection Act, <laughs> okay, yeah, like 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 they're <laughs> going to protect sunshine. We're okay. going to protect sunshine. Yeah. We don't want to. We don't want to hurt the sun. Then the Louisiana law kicks in. The Louisiana law. Takes effect. Oh. Yes. But the thing, the weird thing for me would be, and I know there are already other states that do this, if ours kicks in and Texas's doesn't, we could drive 10 miles down the road and it'd be a, I don't an care. hour different. I don't care. Yeah, we leave get mine used alone. to it. You'd get I used mean, Texas to it. and Arizona do it. Yeah. Arizona yeah. doesn't observe mm-hmm. the time change. Right. I don't think Hawaii does. There's Indiana is one of them, I think, that doesn't change. I'm not sure. It, but I would be fine with it. Just leave it alone. Just, yeah, thank you. And if, and if you're worried about the children going to school in the dark, well, then leave it where daylight's in the morning. That's okay with me. I'm fine that's with that. What I'm, that's what I'm saying. If, if, Just leave it if, alone. If that's your, if that, you know, but let's decide and let's stay with it. So we officially changed the clocks on March 10th. I mean, you do it Saturday night before you go to bed, generally, yeah. if you have clocks. You don't have to change anything anymore, do you? I do. I mean, we've got a... We've got, it's so funny because uh, <laughs> Sunday morning, uh, my wife was sitting in the chair. We were getting... I was getting ready for Sunday school. Mm-hmm. B-group, I'm sorry. And uh, and she was. She had the paper going. She had a little fire going because it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And and I looked in our clock on the mantle, which is a battery operated bull of a nice clock. Okay. I love this clock. But it was stopped. Uh oh. And she didn't realize it. And oh, she no. was still sitting there not dressed yet. And I said, We got to go. You realize that clock is stopped. And she Oh no. What? <laughs> I'm just looking at my watch. I said, yeah. So I had to replace the battery. Oh, no. But, you know, so I do have that one I have to change. I do still have to change the one on the on the stove. And the micro, yeah. Now, now my alarm clock in my room, I plug my phone onto it. Okay. And it automatically sets to most, my phone. Mo- and most then, of course, everything. your phone yeah. will automatically change. My car but, automatically changes now, too. I used to struggle with no, changing my, the car. I, my truck, I don't have a $200,000 I vehicle don't like either, do. but <laughs> ultra luxury vehicle. I left the Bugatti at home today. You are you just you just ride in the back seat all the way to work, and you're the only one in the car. Don't tell anybody that. I did have to fight with Dina's car. She has a new car with the uh, high low beams. They all of a sudden just changed on. I was like, wait, what? What? I what? know. I know. So, <laughs> So now I'm flashing yeah. at people going, oh, sorry. Oh, uh, right. back on. Oh, sorry. My high beams come on all by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. Hadn't figured it out yet. Bill Robertson and uh, local architect Christopher Coe joining us after the news top of the hour. Micah McCarty, 1017 FM, 710keel.com.
91.7 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty in studio with uh, Bill Robertson and local architect Christopher Coe, both members of uh, Friends of Fairgrounds Field. And before we and before we get started, fellas, let me full disclosure. I was PA announcer for the Shreveport Captains at Fairgrounds Field <laughs> for a few years. So I, I have a heart for Fairgrounds Field, and, I, and I, I applaud your efforts, but are we too late? Has it, has it gotten past the point of rehabilitation? Bill, I'll let you start with that. I don't believe it has, Mike, and uh, thank you all for having us. I hear your voice everywhere I go, <laughs> everywhere I go, including the old Fairgrounds Field. Oh, it's, um, it's, it's a special place in my heart. In fact, I, I walked through it a few months ago. And took pictures. Somebody let me in. Sure they did. <laughs> when they left that gate open. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and it broke my heart. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, I literally, I stood where the PA room was and was looking down into the, the, the skybox area um, and, and just had so many fond memories. What, what, let's start with this. You guys have filed suit against the city. Yes. To stop the demolition, yes. what's the status of the lawsuit? The council keeps going into executive session to discuss it, but we don't hear anything. The what's suit the is, status? The suit is still pending. Uh, the Friends of Fairgrounds Field wants to make the case to the people of Shreveport why we should retain that stadium and rebuild it. And uh, the lawsuit is a means to an end. The lawsuit's also a public health issue because... Uh, destroying the stadium without managing the bat population risks spreading airborne contaminants throughout that part of town, and we don't want that to happen. Aren't the so, bats gone? That's what I've been told. The bats are gone. Well, that's an interesting question, Aaron, because Mike's had access to the stadium. Friends of Fairgrounds Field has been denied that access. So we are going on... Speculation. My philosophy is it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, Bill. So uh, <laughs> I've heard that. Oh, I've these heard guys that. will get dragged before a judge. I oh, promise I you. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. I've absolutely heard that, yes. Uh, and I've subscribed to that theory myself numerous times. But now, what will it take financially to get Fairgrounds Field back operational? Can I defer to my partner, Christopher Coe? Mm-hmm. Sure. sure. Chris. What, what would it take? I that mean, that wasn't a softball. That was a hardball. I, mean, I know. That was a professional hardball, Bill and Mike. Thank you. Uh, listen, he, he, here's my issue. I, I was born and raised here. I've been gone 33 years. I always knew I was going to return to Shreveport, and when I got back, I was frankly shocked in 2017 to see how much we've lost, how many buildings of importance value we've oh, yeah. lost. Yes. So the question for me is, what do we value? When you when you step back and realize that there was a bond issue that funded the building of the stadium. And then in 2019, the Perkins administration put another bond issue on to tear down the stadium. There was absolutely no reason to do that, and here's why. That stadium has remained empty for four administrations, from Hightower to Perkins, and nobody did their job. The mayor, the mayor's executive director for economic development, and SPAR didn't maintain it. So they didn't seek out aggressively ways to program the stadium how to use the stadium, find another management company for the stadium, find another team for the stadium, find local sports groups that can use the stadium. Nobody did that. They never issued a request for proposals 
to entities or teams or anybody to, to use the stadium. And all that time, and again, the four administrations, SPAR did not maintain the building. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I go back to as of February 20, what is it, to 27th, 2024, how much will it take to get Fairgrounds Field operational, a, a field out there, stand, seats back in the stands and butts in the stands? The short answer is pennies on the dollar. We are working on drawings right now to show to the public and to get accurate costing to, to prove that up. However, what needs to happen is this current administration, and we need to give them some grace, I guess. They've only been in office for a year, and they've got handed this problem. Let's be real about that. Sure. The last one, I think, did a terrible job about it. And this whole debacle with Rev Entertainment, to me, which is always beware of the flim-flam man, uh, uh, that we even entertain this idea that we would finance a stadium and this giant development for somebody else to make money off of it is absurd to me. You guys, Fairgrounds Field, for, y'all were completely against the Rev Entertainment proposal. Yes. Completely. But, Aaron, let me qualify that friends does not have any objection to bringing rev into shreveport to program fairgrounds field correct Mm -hmm. and they've expressed interest in that as well we think the mayor made the right call in canceling the 200 million dollar stadium we think as christopher said fairgrounds field can be renovated for pennies on the dollar at whose at whose cost mine We've developed our private. Well, how many pennies? I, I still haven't gotten an answer. How many pennies? How, well, how, how much is it going to take to rehabilitate Fairgrounds Field? When we get access to the stadium and evaluate it with engineers and architects, we can answer your question. Okay. That access has been denied to us. The administrations, plural, have not wanted anyone to make a counter case for rebuilding the stadium because they've got a vision of a new facility. Now, who should pay for it, though? Should it be me with my public money? Should it be private? Well, I think a combination of the two is entirely possible. We've talked with the school board. We've talked with the parish commission. We've talked with uh, 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 Denny Duran at Evangel. We've talked to John Lowe with the fairgrounds, excuse me, with the state fair board. There are private interests that are interested as well, like Willis-Knighton. And we feel like that part of town needs attention. It needs help, okay? It needs a concerted effort to bring it back up, make the fairgrounds a welcoming place, make the field a place where you can have baseball, other sports, and events. We've got to take a break. Can you guys hold with us through the yes, break? Yes, of course. Uh, we're in studio with Bill Robertson and local architect Christopher Coe, Mike and McCarty, 1017FM710Keel.com. Stories of the Day with Mike and McCarty on 1017FM and 710Keel. We're in studio with Bill Robertson and Christopher Coe talking about uh, Fairgrounds Field. Bill, I. When I've driven by and I noticed lately the piles of debris out to the side are bigger. Are, are, are there crews in there continuing the clean out at Fairgrounds Field? Do we know? Well, Mike, uh, uh, given that Friends has no access to the stadium, I mean, uh, I'm just it's hard this for me to answer. But uh, I do understand prior to the last Independence Bowl, the city made an effort to tidy up so that there wouldn't be the repeat of the Utah sports writer hmm. episode where he bashed our city over the appearance Let me of, ask you uh, this, Bill. I, you know, we, we, with regard to the status of the lawsuit, you say it's still ongoing. What's taking so long? This is three years now, probably, 
that this lawsuit's been pending? What's going on? The lawsuit is, is a means to an end. The lawsuit is simply our uh, effort because we've been denied communication with the administration to prevent the demolition of the stadium. So uh, when we get assurance from the city that they'll talk, uh, then I think at that point we'll have to reevaluate the lawsuit and perhaps drop it. But, um, but until uh, uh, the hammer is removed over our heads, we have to keep that in place. So it's not even moving through the court process? Is somebody delaying? Who, who's delaying it moving through? Obvious, I think that's a question for our attorneys, and I don't have the answer. Okay. Do you have any, and I know I asked this of Mayor Perkins at the time and Mayor Arsenault now, do you have anyone that is, co- and, and Mayor Perkins told me clearly, we don't have a private person coming to the table with cash to say, look, here's what I'll put up personally to help develop this state. Do we have anybody that is ready to come to the table with cash? Aaron, I think that the answer to that is we have to have some kind of signal from the city administration that they're open to the discussion. Up to this point, they've been zero interest at City Hall to rebuilding the stadium. Uh, uh, As late as the latest issue of Forum, uh, the mayor saying the stadium's not worth saving and he wants to tear it down. So uh, when you see those kinds of comments and you see that sort of, uh, of roadblock, uh, the private interests aren't going to express any, any, any uh, uh, excitement about rebuilding the stadium. But we think once that cloud is lifted and the, uh, the mayor says, okay, let's talk, let's have a full-throated discussion like we're having today, mm-hmm. then uh, I think you'll find people popping up saying, okay, if the city wants to, wants to really talk, we'll be there. We'll be at the table. Now, the city has, has made the statements that the, the, the stadium itself is not rehabable. It is, it is not safe. It's basically concrete and steel. Uh, and Chris, uh, tell yeah, me, is, yeah. is, is that an untrue statement? Is- I, I, I believe that to be an untrue statement, and there are no facts to back it up. We did have a meeting with Mayor Perkins before he left his administration. It was a, a good meeting. There must have been at least 15 or 20 people there. Uh, and I questioned the fact that they were having the director of SPAR out in the public saying that the building was structurally unsound. And so I asked the question to the mayor directly, do you have an engineering report that says that? Can you prove that? And they do not. And I said, Mayor, that's a problem. You really should not have a city employee out claiming something that you cannot prove. I do not believe the building is structurally unsound. That thing is incredibly well built. We have the original construction drawings. We have reviewed them thoroughly, and it is robust. The basic superstructure of the building is completely sound. And this is from an architectural firm. The rest Mm -hmm. of it can be fixed. We're talking about seats, stairs, drainage for the field, toilets. All that stuff can be fixed. But Chris and, and Bill, and I'm not sure, Chris Coe is with us, local architect Bill Robertson with the Friends of Fairgrounds Field. We all admit sitting in this room today, Fairgrounds Field is an eyesore as it sits today. Um, how long do we let an eyesore sit in our city? I mean, at, at some point we have to say, okay. Yeah, what's next? Yes, if, if they're going to be stubborn you guys aren't going to have any movement. At what point do we do we give up and say, okay, it's an eyesore. It's time to go. It's on our main freeway through our freaking city. Aaron, you heard Christopher say earlier that four administrations have allowed this facility to 
wither. Deteriorate. Mm -hmm. Deteriorate. So it's not going to be rehabbed overnight either. We simply want the, the discussion with the administration to make our case. That has not been afforded to us. Okay, so, so we've tried and tried and tried. This open letter that we published just earlier this month again makes the, makes the case to the city. The collapse of the Rev Entertainment proposal presents an obvious question to the community. What about Fairgrounds Field? What should we do with it? The mayor wants to tear it down. The current mayor, the previous mayor, wanted to tear it down. Anyone driving on Interstate 20 and looking over there sees an eyesore. I understand that. I get it. But if you give us the chance to have an honest debate mm -hmm. and make, make honest proposals, we'll do that. We'll be at the table. Bill, Bill, you said a moment ago, excuse me, Aaron, that Rev Entertainment expressed some interest in possibly rehabbing Fairgrounds Field? When they were making the rounds pitching their new stadium idea, uh, they were asked because Link Coleman went to the meeting with me out at uh, 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 Billberry Park, I think it was, one of the, the facilities where they had a public meeting. And, and we said, if we were to rehab the existing stadium, would you want to be involved? And they said, yes. So Elephant, Elephant in the room, guys, is that we all know that part of town is an area people won't go to. We have thousands of families in our community that will not go to the state fair because of that location. How do you fight that battle? You could build that stadium and make it state-of-the-art. How are you going to convince people that it's okay to go to that neighborhood? Look, we're, we're looking to build a coalition, and if we can just get in a room with the administration and they open their arms to us, because we've shown we have people that are interested, the school board, local colleges, local organizations that want to do sports, and it doesn't matter whether it's baseball, soccer, skateboarding, whatever. We have a huge group of people who are interested in using that facility. And I'll tell you, it has also always puzzled me why the state fair board themselves don't use the building as a venue during the state fair. I mean, it would seem logical to me. So there's easily uses to be found for it, and there are many, many groups here in town that are willing to come together to program the building and to use it, which will make the neighborhood safer. Mm -hmm. What did Kevin Costner say? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> and he was we talking hope. about a baseball field. Yes, he was. <laughs> uh, Bill Robertson and uh, Christopher Coe, local architect in studio. We're going to change gears coming up after the news, uh, bottom of the hour, and talking about a, uh, a privately owned historic home. Do they have the right to demolish it? We'll continue our discussion. Mike and McCarty, 1017FM710Keel.com. Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017FM and 710Keel. Going to continue our conversation with local architect Christopher Cove with uh, Co Architecture. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yes. Look at me. Look, look like I know what I'm doing. Uh, coming up just after the break, uh, uh, private ownership versus uh, public good. We're going to discuss that uh, right after the break. Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel.com. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. In studio with Christopher Coe from Co-Architecture. 
And there's an interesting debate kind of came up. Channel 3 reported last week about uh, the historic home on Kings Highway. It's located right next to Raising Canes before you get to I-49. Uh, apparently, the uh, current owners, uh, the Rice Kendig Law Firm, want to sell the building. They were approached by a coffee company that wants to put a drive through coffee service, and we need one of those, another one of those in town. Hey, uh, a nondescript building. Uh, but their their plan is contingent on the current owner being able to get a certificate of demolition. So the current owner wants to get that certificate of demolition to be able to sell his property. Christopher Coe, um, if he purchased... An historic building, does he have the right to demolition to to demolish that property? This is this is such a great discussion and, and issue, and it, it is an important discussion to raise this issue of the importance of our built environment in Shreveport and again ask ourselves what do we what do we value? You know, this, the city itself is man's greatest achievement. It's not the internet, it's not the iPhone, it's the city, it's the community, it's the commune. But with citizens, to become a citizen, though, there are rules that govern your, your residency. Mm-hmm. Those rules govern public safety. They govern civil liberties. They govern taxation for infrastructure. And they govern real estate. And there is a code, essentially a law, that says that particular building, that lot, sits within a federally designated historic district, the Fairfield Historic District. And you can't do certain things. I don't know when... The Rice Law Firm bought the building. It might have been quite a long time ago, but that federal district was established in 1986. In order to have a district like that, you have to have public hearings. So this was no secret that this is in that district. And effectively, any law like that, whether it's our master plan or the Uniform Development Code, these things really are a collective bargaining agreement. You as a citizen have made an agreement with the city to do or do not do certain things with your property. Mm -hmm. And I believe me, I know in this part of the country, property rights are incredibly important and it's a hot button issue. But the fact remains, they know it's in a historic district. They know it came with rules. I'm going to say something, excuse me, I'm going to say something very important though. I know all three of these gentlemen. They, excuse me, they are good guys and have done a lot of good for the city. I'm not throwing shade at these people. Right. And I'm not trying to villainize them either. And and they are just trying to, they they got approached by somebody and they, in a sense, are trying to exercise their rights as a property owner. However, it does bring up this issue that I'm afraid will be tested in a court. And the result could be the negation of all of the codes that govern historic properties. And if that happens, Highland is lost. Fairfield is lost. Downtown is lost. That's the importance of this issue. Now, there, one of their arguments is the fact that on the um, east side of them toward Fairfield, that used to be a huge historic home. It's now a bank. On the west side of them used to be historic homes that are now chicken places and, and taco shops. Well, when, when you really think about it, the only building that's the outlier is the Canes. No, 1030 Kings Highway, which is their office, which is a beautiful, originally a mansion, I believe designed by Edward F. Neald Sr., probably one of the greatest architects in the country, certainly of Shreveport, who did the Cattle Parish Courthouse, the Truman Library, the Municipal Building in St. Louis, Norton Art Gallery, Mm. and almost every mansion up and down Fairfield, probably designed the building, as well as the building across the street, which is the Tudor Revival-style mansion that Mm -hmm. is now the Willis-Knighton Foundation Building, 
and the Randall T. Moore Center, also across the street, which is also a 100-year-old building. All three of those buildings that sit at that intersection are over 100 years old, as is the Kings Highway Christian Church, Bird High School. We're at a moment in time in Shreveport where we should be celebrating the fact that we still have these buildings that are over 100 years old. Now, we, should, we should not be having a conversation that we're going to tear one down. Now, Friday, the Historic Preservation Commission voted unanimously to say no to the demolition. It's now headed to, the, to Alan Clark at the MPC. Um, he can do what? Th- that's right. Alan Clark is the executive, executive director of the MPC, and in his role, he has full discretionary authority to deny the certificate of demolition or accept it. Mm-hmm. I hope uh, he will deny it. That's probably the expected outcome. And then what? And then if he does deny it, the applicant uh, has the ability to appeal to the Zoning Board of Appeals. And that's a group of neighbors here, many of whom we all know. Uh, you know, and I expect the neighbors probably to, to lobby them as well. If the Zoning Board of Appeals upholds the denial of the demolition certificate, then it goes to court. That's, doesn't go to the city council first. It does not go to the city council. It goes to court, which is unfortunate. It will get political. And again, my fear is this becomes a test case or a litmus test, if you will, that could in fact ravage the protections that we have in our historic districts. But what was what was at the Kane site when it when it was it a uh, historic uh, building? Uh, uh, yeah, but it had been it had been long gone. But you know okay. when you think about it, that's that's Barrett Street. That's right at the corner of Kings and Barrett. And and west of there, you've got the Taco Bell and the McDonald's. Those kind of make sense because they are in, are in a sense sitting at the on off ramp of forty nine. And you know we get what happens when you put freeways through towns. You get that kind of development. I don't know how Kane's was able to get placed there, but it did. And it is true, and the applicant has said this, it is true that his lot is zoned C1 commercial. It allows for commercial development. However, it does not allow for a drive-in use. Mm -hmm. So he's asking for special dispensation, and that's already a dangerous intersection. And I'm not, this is not hyperbole. I avoid that intersection between Kings and Barrett, which is only one block, because there's so much traffic going not only into Community Bank, but also into Kane's. And then the small office building next door. I go around the back to, to Rutherford, which their property extends to. The other thing that's quite complicated, and I can't imagine that the coffee shop guys think they can build this with any value on the dollar. That site's got a lot of topography to it. There are retaining walls. I don't know how you're going to build a seven-lane <laughs> drive-in coffee shop with so much topography without having to level the entire land and build retaining walls that then buck up the community bank next door. I think there's lots of complications here. Interesting. The uh, coffee shop, I believe it's been named Seven Brew. Yeah, it's Seven there, Brew. There's I, not, not I, another place in the I, area I, for that? I, I know. Well, we just now have a Dunkin' Donuts that's smack dab in the middle of our historic district that is right between two 100-year-old mm-hmm. historic buildings. The building that used to be a mansion that was originally, the, that was the law office of Ron Weems, which sits at 912 Kings, which is a beautiful kind of French Chateau revival building, is right across the street from the new Dunkin' Donuts, Mm -hmm. which is right next door to the 100-year-old Kings Highway Christian Church designed Mm -hmm. by Samuel Wiener, one of our most heralded architects, two historic-year-old buildings. The irony of this is that the Kindig Law Firm is moving, has bought 912 Kings, and is moving into another 100-year-old building. They've been good stewards for probably 40 years of the building that they're in right now at 1030 Kings. And they're going to be good stewards again because they're buying a historic building in the historic district. Could the coffee shop exist in the building as it stands now without tearing it down, just with no drive-thru? I I think their business model is a drive-thru. I don't know much about them. But here's what I find particularly spurious and kind of odious about this whole thing is that Seven Brew 
approached the applicant, the owner, the Kindiv firm, uh, the, the, sorry, the Rice firm, and said, hey, we'll buy your property only contingent if you can get the demo permit. I don't know what ownership and what attorney would take that on. Mm. Why, why would you risk the ire of the entire city and your neighbors to do that? I, I, you know, it's impolite in the South like, to count other people's money, and I will not do that. I, these are good gentlemen. Uh, I do respect them. I think they got put in a bad position. It Did seems, they think possibly this would be quietly done? I, I, mean, I, I can't imagine that's the case. Yeah. And, and maybe there's something else at work. Maybe they do want this to be a test case. Maybe, I, you know, they're lawyers. I don't know. Something, something else could be going on. But uh, here, here's the other thing I want to touch on. Listen, this issue is not about historic preservation. This is about economic viability. Historic preservation and economic viability are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're completely symbiotic. We all go to New Orleans because we love the charm of the town. We go mm-hmm. to Natchitoches. We go to Santa Fe. We go to Charleston. We go to Savannah. All of those cities fought hard to protect their historic buildings, to leave the charm and the scale that they have. And by the way, the scale and the charm of the historic properties are economic drivers. That's why the Fairfield Bed and Breakfast is so successful. It's not successful because it sits on the on-ramp to I-49. It's successful because it sits in the middle of a historic district. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's a beautiful historic building. That's right. Our friends Mike and Mark Mangum with uh, Twin Blends uh, History, Northwest Louisiana History Hunters post every day pictures of these beautiful buildings that are black and white photos because those buildings are no longer there. Mm. And they blend in with what is usually what is there, which is usually uh, an ugly, nondescript building, or even worse, a parking lot. Yeah, it's shameful. In fact, Dr. Gary Joyner... And it's heartbreaking to me. It, it is heartbreaking. Dr. Gary Joyner at LSU, who's chair of the Historic Preservation Commission, has written a book. The book is called Lost Shreveport. I've got it. You yes. see it all. You can see it at every CVS, every bookstore. It's there. It's a beautiful book. It's a sad book to see what yes. we have either intentionally torn down or lost by neglect. The fact remains is we don't need a second edition of that book. Can we just stop tearing things down? What are you urging folks can we, to do? Can we keep our good stuff, please? Well, what are you urging folks to do in our, in our, last, our last minute I, here? I, 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 know, uh, I know Marshall Rice, and he is a good guy. We, I would call ourselves friendly acquaintances, and I sent him an email before I started shooting off my mouth and told him what my point was, and he called me immediately, and we had a very cordial and very kind of funny conversation, and I told him, I kind of feel bad that Seven Brew put him in that position, I mean, and, and I, I'm amazed that he took it on, but truly, I mean, I, it, I would not be in that, I would not want to put myself in that but position. But what would you advise folks to do, our last 30 seconds? I, I think you should write an email to Alan Clark, the executive director of the NPC, and ask him to deny the certificate of demolition. If it goes to the zoning of board of approvals, uh, I think you do the same thing. You email campaign and ask them to 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 deny the the, the demolition. Do we know the listing price of the property? I don't, and that's interesting. I, I, now that they bought the building that they're going to move into, I don't know why they just didn't go ahead and put it on the market. I'm, sh- you know, that's a great property. It goes, it's a it's a, a multiple uh, multiple lots that go entirely through from Kings to Rutherford. Huge piece of property, multiple buildings on, including parking shade structures. I'm sure that's going to get a great value, and they have maintained that building so well, anybody could just move in and start operations. You know, there are mitigating factors to being able to get a certificate of demolition. If the ground was shifting and the, the house is at risk of falling, if the roof has been caved in, if the building has been empty for 40 years, sure. those are all mitigating circumstances that might allow you to get a certificate of demolition. None of those conditions exist. Gotcha. 
Well, thank you so much. Yes, Christopher Coe Architect, Coe Architectural Firm. Uh, We appreciate your time coming in. Well, thanks for bringing it up. It's an important issue to the city and to all of us. Thank you, sir. I agree. Mike McCarty, 101.7 FM, 710keel.com. Breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel. Time just flies by when you're having fun. Micah McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel. Wow. By the way, a fire at Whole Foods? Yes. Is that what I see on our website? Yes. What there happened? Were, there was a fire in the uh, back in the stock Somebody's room area. Somebody's granola catch fire? What was <laughs> it was a, a trash compactor back in the stock room. Um, I guess they have a you know a trash compactor where they throw the boxes and stuff in that you know right, as they yeah. unload stuff, and there was a fire in there and and it there was a lot of smoke that kind of filled up that back room. One person had to be treated for smoke inhalation. Um, Twenty seven firefighters worked to put out the blaze. Had to evacuate the store two o'clock Sunday afternoon. So I mean. If you're going to pick a busy time for a Whole Foods store, 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon is probably a pretty busy time. Okay, but none of that Chantilly cake got destroyed or <laughs> smoke damaged, right? Is that- I, I don't know about the Chantilly cake. I'm not sure. And I don't know. Um, I don't know. Ruben, were you looking at it? Is the store going to be back open today? Do we know anything yet? All they said uh, in the release was to call Whole Foods. Okay. So if anybody knows whether Whole Foods is back open today, I would assume so. And that's a local number, too. You can check it on our website. Right, yeah. It it is in the article. You can call them up and see when they're going to be open and all that. So if you're planning to go to Whole Foods in the next day or two, Call and check with them and, you know, find out. I would assume, you know, you you may have some water damage, but if it was confined back to the stockroom area... I, you would think the store could be back open pretty quickly. But I, again, I don't know if the store is back open today. Let us know. Or if you've got my cell number, send, shoot me a text or send us a message on the Shreveport Security Systems message board whether or not Whole Foods is back open today or not. Thankfully, nobody seriously hurt. Just one person treated for smoke inhalation, and then um, they cleared the store out. That's rough. Well, and yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't worse than that. Absolutely, yeah. And, and uh, hopefully not a lot of the uh, Chantilly cake was damaged. <laughs> you ever You're had not that, supposed to eat that. I know. That's how good it is. It is delicious. It really oh, is delicious. Wow. Oh, man. I, I did a good thing this weekend. <laughs> I had Bunko, and I had gotten an order from Nuts.com of a lot of different uh, gourmet chocolates. Oh, there you go. And yeah. I just brought them all to Bunko. I'm like, let's let the gals enjoy these. So I just left them over there. So I don't have any, to worry about eating any more chocolate. I'm good. Oh, and I didn't go to jail at Bunko either. I survived. I made it through. Didn't win any money, though, but that's all right. Strippers were no, no problem. We don't talk about that. Okay. We don't discuss that. Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, <laughs> 710 Keel.